I used to sit in the preschool in tears. People say to me all the time, you're a parenting expert because you've got six kids. And I'm like, well, you no, know, I know plenty of people with lots of kids and they're not parenting experts at all. <laughs> doesn't matter which school they go to as long as they're being well supported at home because I will not be camping out to get them into the out of area or the fancy private schools. From the news desk to the nursery, Mom! this is the Parent Panel with Siobhan Hunt. So this is the time of the week where we invite a mum and a dad into the studio um, to ask their opinions, get their uh, take on things that have happened. It might be something that's happened in the media that we've seen. It might be something that parents are talking about in cafes, or it could be something that I've had experience in my life and I just want advice <laughs> from other parents. And what we're talking about today, um, following on from two mums who were having basically what looked like a punch-up. I don't know if anyone was actually hit, but it happened in a school's car park this week. Apparently, it was over a, a space, so maybe someone zipped in when someone else had their blinker on. And we're asking, what is your tipping point? When have you been pushed too far and what happened? Then, of course, there's the the story that happened at the start of the week where um, it was about whether we should ask babies for consent when we change their nappies. I'm really intrigued with the idea of uh, gender politics in children. And in particular, does the color pink mean anything? <laughs> and finally, how could we avoid it? In the spirit of the royal wedding and all the palaver that's happened in the lead up, when have you witnessed or been part of a monumental wedding disaster? Joining me to discuss these topics is Kate Brown from Choice Australia and social researcher Near Corn. Kate Near, welcome. Thank Hello. You. Now you are returning, but just um, to refresh our minds, I'm going to ask you about your children. Kate, can we start with you? I am the mother of two girls uh, who are rapidly growing. They won't stop. Um, ten and seven. Wow. And Nia? I have a stepson who's 16 and a little boy who's five and three quarters. He wants the world to know. <laughs> so cute. You it's don't so do that important. by the time you're 35. <laughs> no, you no. certainly don't. Well, first up, we're speaking about what happens when parents are pushed too far. Can't take it anymore. I mustn't overreact. I must remain calm. You're overreacting. 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 When was the last time you overreacted to a situation? Two Sydney mums made the headlines this week after a very public altercation in their school's car park. I thought it was really interesting that the principal released um, a statement basically telling them that telling the public that he was going to have a word to the mothers and everyone else was pretty quick to jump on the um, bandwagon saying that it was disgusting behavior now I'm not saying that we should all be able to have fisticuffs in the school car park because that is certainly not the message we want to send to our kids but what I do feel is that we all have a breaking point possibly not one where you're going to yell and scream at people but Sometimes there are um, situations that can get out of hand. A few comments from our audience on that story. Kristen says, It's really easy to sit on the outside and make judgments on the failings of others when they aren't areas we personally struggle with. And the truth is we all fail miserably at times, just in our own individual ways. And usually without cameras watching, there's a little bit of hubris in fooling yourself that your weak areas aren't as detrimental as other, some other parent just because their weak areas are different to yours or yours are less visible 
or more subtle? And Michael's response was new contestants for MKR. I, I don't watch MKR, so I'm not sure if I've missed something there. Um, so parenting's not for the faint-hearted, particularly school drop-offs can be stressful. Um, I'm wondering, Kate, have you ever reached breaking point and what was the result? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because it was probably this morning was the most recent <laughs> one. I, I find the morning's really hard and, and when I saw that story about the two mothers, um, I was like, yeah. I can't imagine you. God, it wasn't me. (laughs) I can't imagine you having an altercation with another parent. I don't know if I'd do that, but I'm I'm not ruling anything out. I was, you know, until I had kids, I was a very calm. Well, I thought I was a very calm person and prided myself on being really chilled out and yeah, whatever. And I've just been astonished at how short my fuse can be. Well, maybe it isn't. Maybe my fuse isn't short. Maybe I've just been pushed that much further. And That's right. It's been quite a revelation. Um, so have you got an example? Come on, let's get practical. Um, well, actually, yeah, this morning, so I was standing up the front. Both my daughters could um, win awards for getting ready slowly. One had gone in the bathroom, was getting dressed. Apparently, 30 minutes later, I hadn't noticed she, she was still in there getting dressed, apparently. <laughs> Uh, my little one came out, told me she was ready to go. I kind of turned around. She didn't have any shoes on. Um, she hadn't brushed her hair, hadn't brushed her teeth. Um, time's ticking on. I had nice dreams of walking them to school because I don't work on Fridays. That didn't happen. So I found myself on the veranda shouting back into the house like this kind of harpy. And I realized there was this really nice couple in, in, in a car parked in front of my house putting their new baby in the back and just looking at me like, who is this horrible woman? And I felt like going, this will be you one day. I thought that I would be okay. Okay, too. Yeah. A friend of mine said whenever she shouts at her kids now, she tries to shut all the windows so the neighbours can't hear her. Yes, because it's shameful. You don't want to be caught out doing it. Mm, Yeah. Have you ever reached breaking point? I have, but I don't with other people. My specialty is passive aggression as opposed to outright aggression. Although I do identify with that movie and book, The Slap, occasionally. Really? Sometimes you feel like it. Like the woman the other day who we were standing in line at school and she encouraged her son to push right into the front <gasps> and she was so proud when he did. And oh, don't. That makes me feel sick. I hate that stuff. And then she was so boastful about it. And I thought, okay, there's one not to play with. Yeah. yeah. But I, I lost it with, I lose it when I'm embarrassed, not when he is. It's all about my mood. And I always took him to synagogue of all places. And in the midst of the quiet and silence, he screamed out, I want to go home now. <laughs> and to his credit, the rabbi at the front said, everyone does. You'll have to wait a little bit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I just packed him up and took him home. And I was so ashamed and upset. But that was me. It wasn't him. Yeah. And it's interesting in that moment that that's how... Um, that it's often not about whoever we're yelling at or, you know, well, I don't know. Your, your daughters sound pretty testing. <laughs> and I only say that because mine are the same. But then I think I, when they're not ready, I just do it for them. Yeah, which is not helpful. They well, need to learn to do. I, it. I learnt, look just as I as I left. I'd t- I'd pack some fruit lovingly and put it in my youngest one's bag. And of course, this morning I thought, no, she can get her own bag. I'm out the front shrieking and frightening the people with the baby. <laughs> and just as I was leaving today, uh, what was lying on the floor? The fruit. It had fallen out of the bag. You know, the bag. Yeah. Had, and it's just like, oh. If it makes you feel better, I had a similar morning, and I went. I'm waiting in the car now. 
And that's what I did. And you just sat in the car. I waited, and then he knows. Okay, now it's time to hurry. He's serious about this. Were you beeping the horn near? No, that's oh. the neighbour's thing. You see, you don't oh. want to bring it upon yourself. That's what my neighbour does too. <laughs> they just sit there and beep the horn. No, I didn't beep. No, mm. not you, but no. the neighbours. Yeah, yeah. Mine too. Fascinating. Mm. I'm Siobhan Hunt. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. We invite two parents into the studios to get their thoughts on the stories and events of the week. In an attempt to get some insight and maybe um, just to, is it, what's the German word when you're all feeling, loving other people's mis- misery? Oh, shroud, uh, shroud and... I know the word, but I don't know how to say it. Uh, uh, our producer, Cinnamon, spent a long time in Germany. She's telling me, go on, tell me so I can say it properly. Schadenfreude. That's Schadenfreude. Yeah. That's maybe that's what we're doing here on the parent panel. I don't know. I'm feeling better because other people are suffering. Today, I'm joined by Kate Brown from Choice Australia and social researcher Nia Korn. Babies, nappies and consent. We're talking about the latest parenting outrage to hit the internet. You're listening to Kindly Conversation. How young are some of the children you talk to? We work from children from three years old. We work with parents from birth. From birth? Yeah, yeah. Just about how to set up a culture of consent in their home. So I'm going to change your nappy now. Is that okay? Of course, the baby's not going to respond. Yes, mum, that's awesome. I'd love to have my nappy changed. But if you leave a space and wait for body language and wait to make eye contact, then you're letting that child know that their response matters. Now, that was the CEO of Body Safe Australia, Deanne, Deanne Carson, speaking on the ABC. It was part of a larger conversation about consent, and her comments suggesting we should ask babies for consent before we change their nappies was picked up by somewhere, some, uh, I think it was on Sky, and there was a whole outrage. Can you believe the old ABC is paying for this garbage? And it just went on and on from there. But I thought it was an interesting one to dip in with parents and how parents feel about it, and some of the reactions from from our audience showed the variety of ways people are responding. Jesse says this also counts for not forcing your child to kiss or hug relatives when they don't want to, which I see happen all the time. They need to learn that they have the right to determine what happens to their bodies, not someone else. That said, on the nappy front at eight months old, changing my son's nappy was like wrestling a crocodile <laughs> and no amount of signaling consent seeking conversation would have changed that. Leah says the most common sense remark I've read on this topic is as children, they're unable to give consent by definition. If they could, you could argue that if a toddler gave consent to a pedophile touching them, then no crime had been committed. Common sense people, we need to step up and parent, but we can do it with kind authority that still involves conversation with our children. A child does not get to say they won't be changed out of a wet or dirty nappy in this house. Um, Kate, what do you think about asking babies and following on from that, I guess, children for consent before you do things? Oh, look, it's such a can of worms. I really love that last comment, actually. Um, she's probably summed up how I feel better than I could. Um, <laughs> I think I think the woman on the ABC had a really good point, and I was really sad that she kind of got beat up about it because it made a great headline. I saw it thought, what the hell? Uh, that's ridiculous. Uh, but when I actually read it in context, I thought, well, that's a really interesting idea, the idea of asking, the idea of telling. Um, someone I know that works in childcare said, we've been doing this for years. You know, that's what they do. They're communicating all the time. And, and we know that even little babies understand what you're talking about, even though they can't communicate back. Um, but that last comment did 
open another can of worms around, you know, consent, misunderstanding of consent, and particularly in the way that the, the law sees consent. Um, look, I think talking to children, explaining why you're doing something is really important um, for them to understand that. And I definitely think that thing around kissing and hugging people they don't want to. My husband's always telling my kids, you know, go and give such and such a hug. And I always think, oh, you know, and they do that weird little sort of arms, no body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just think, oh, you know, that, that, that should be up to them. So I guess in principle, it's a really great idea. I don't know how far you'd want to take it, but I think explaining things is never going to hurt, no matter how little the child is. Neil, what's your take on this one? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, the, the, the idea itself, and I listen to it in context, and I can see what you say, and it does logically, it's common sense. The problem we have, of course, is it does take it a bit too far. And one of the biggest gripes people have in our society at the moment is political correctness gone mad. So therefore, when you put somebody on the ABC who tells you to ask of consent from a few months old baby, you can see how people get really angry about that and they lose sight of the conversation itself. Because all of us, every parent wants their child to know that it's their body and we fear, the greatest fear any parent has is some kind of untoward interference. And I've actually said to people before, when he was little, he hated hugging and I've said, look, he doesn't like hugging, you know, and I kind of got angry at the person for why do you keep going when the child's not responding. Having said that, when I was a kid, it was pinching the cheeks. <laughs> Somehow that's disappeared. But, you know, all those years ago... You I know, know my father-in-law used to do it. And it was painful and horrible. You wouldn't do that today. Did you have really <laughs> cute, chubby cheeks when you were little, near? Maybe. But I had one great aunt who would do that and then give me a chocolate. So it was like Pavlov's <laughs> dog, you know? I looked forward to the pinch. I mean, it has been such a vitriolic response, hasn't it? And I know that when things are online, people do tend to read the headlines. In your experience as a social researcher, do you think the people that respond so um, so violently, I guess, are actual parents? I mean, you mentioned, you touched on the fact that's one of our biggest fears, but if we're afraid of it, wouldn't we be more embracing of the idea? Yeah, the people who tend to respond tend to be hobbyists, so shock jocks and hobbyists, and that's their thing. To it's a bit like when I remember talking a lot to parents about banning advertising that targets children, and there'd be all these parents' jewelry and people coming out saying, we must. When I spoke to parents, they actually got angry at the people who want to ban it because they said, what you're doing fundamentally is criticizing my ability to parent. Let the kids see what they do. I'll control that. And I think there's a bit of that here. So people get angry at people who tell them, look, you have to ask for consent. But hold on a second. You know, I'll decide, you know. And I think that's where people become invulnerable about it because they see it as a criticism. And as you know, parenthood is right with guilt and doing wrong in any case. So we don't want any more of that. It doesn't help. Yeah, so there might have been a few people watching that going, oh, my goodness, I didn't ask, and now they're older. What have now, I done? I better book the therapist now. You know, <laughs> oh, my kids now. are going to need a therapist anyway, <laughs> let's be honest. You're listening to the Parent Panel on Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My guests today are Kate Brown from Choice Australia and social researcher Nia Korn. In a moment, is wearing pink princess dresses setting a girl up for failure? Kindling Conversation. There's, there's something called socialisation. 
the children get lots of messages from the world around them, not just from their parents. But it raises particular questions. Like I see the hypersensitivity about girls in pink. What's wrong with pink? No one's hypersensitive that I always wear black. <laughs> That's early childhood educator Anthony Samand speaking about gender politics and how we take or make meanings out of different gender stereotypes, like saying girls like the colour pink and what that actually means. Now, I was talking to Anthony on Kindling Conversation earlier this week, and it was one of those things that I've been really interested in, in terms of the politics around gender and children, because I have found it really confusing. I consider myself to be a feminist, and yet when my daughter was younger and had a penchant for the colour pink and loved her princess dresses, there was this kind of um, judgment I felt from people that letting her do that was setting her up for failure, that somehow if she liked the colour pink and she liked princesses, she was identifying with these stereotypes that would make her weaker, make her want Prince Charming to come rescue her. And at the same time this was happening, personally as a mother, I was like, why can't she just like the color pink? Like, And the same thing um, when I had my son, he is obsessed with cars. He has just started asking for Nerf guns. He has two already and he wants more for his birthday. So the idea that, you know, he's going to be a psychopath because he wants guns Mind you, sometimes he is a bit strange, but, um, <laughs> but I don't put that Thank down God to he the... he doesn't live in Texas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't put it down to the toys he likes to play with. I would put it down to his friendships. Um, some comments from our audience are quite interesting. Chris says, my problem... This is a long one, so bear with me. She says, my problem with pink isn't the choice of colour, it's the lack of choice. Girls often can't choose from red, blue, green, pink, yellow. They get to choose from light pink fuchsia and rose. Toys that are perfectly understandable in any colour suddenly become kink, pink Sorry for girls' versions, like they can't use the original. And she says Nerf guns is one example of this. The entire toy aisle is packaged in pink. They're being told that if it's not in pink, it's not for you, which cuts them off from many kinds of toys and conversely cuts boys off who are being programmed to think that if it's pink, it's not for you. And you walk into Kmart or Target and all the girls' clothes are pink or have love hearts. That's not a choice. It's like a child choosing to like pink when it's one of a series of colours. Now, Leander says she thinks it's more like the opposite. Girls can play with blue or green, things nobody bats an eye about, but heaven forbid if a boy pinks up anything pink. So um, my question to you today is, um, do you think colours and toys have a part to play in how our children define themselves? And I'll, I'll start with you today, Nia. I think it's a really, it, it is a really fascinating one. And if, if you've ever had a look at Amazon, Bic came out with pens for, for women, <laughs> a few years ago, and the comments were so hilariously, oh, thank you, you've solved my world problems. <laughs> but it's interesting how we've taken a social engineering, which has been in the past a truism. Boys don't cry, boys, boys play with guns, they're aggressive, girls do dolls and soft things. Um, it seems like we're replacing that with another form of social engineering. And the point is, why can't you let them be? Why can't boys and girls be 
equal but different. They are different. And I think Desmond Morris writes about this quite a lot, how innately boys will pick up things that are more aggressive and more, and girls will do more sharing toys and connecting. I don't know why they can't choose. And I think today's modern parents recognize that by and large. And they let their kids choose. If a kid wants to wear pink and he's not worried about being bullied, go for it. If a girl wants to play, but we are very sensitive to gun toys and aggressive things because nobody wants their child to become that. That's true. Kate, you've got two girls. What do you think about this? Yeah, look, I, I, I totally agree with what Nia said. And we've got some great comments today. I'm really... I know. <laughs> I, I love that comment about the lack of choice. That really bugged me when it came to toys and that, that aisle of pink. And, and as the other, the, the mother of the boy said, that then says to boys, that's not for you. And I was, I still really object to that. Um, but around girls identifying with pink, I've had to do a kind of turnaround on that. My firstborn, of course, I was all, she's not going to wear pink. I got the girliest girl you could possibly get the first time <laughs> round, And I fought that battle until she was about two. And one day she'd put on three skirts that she'd got from her cousin because I hadn't bought them. They were all pink, different shades of pink and a pink T-shirt and ballet, sparkly ballet shoes. And I tried to interest her in this navy dress. And she I'll never forget it. She jabbed her little thumb at herself and said, I girl, I pink colour and was crying right. oh. and there was something about that she's yeah. that that it was so important to her and so important to how she saw herself i just thought whoa back off brown <laughs> just calm down it's just clothes um and we cycled through all sorts of weird phases now she's 10 uh, you know the, the closest i could get uh, for her to wear at a, a wedding recently was a navy dress so i guess finally <laughs> i got that navy dress on her um number two I, I i think i was a lot more relaxed now i don't know if that changed it she wasn't as into it she she still really went through a girly phase but not not maybe as girly but that that thing about those those toys that you see that four boys four girls that's just that's especially just when the four girls is like a vacuum cleaner and the yeah. four boys is yeah but my thing about this and what i picked up from talking to anthony about it is that it's like the whole weight of an of equality lands on your shoulders as a parent when and, and when you're thinking oh no she likes pink when what we need to be thinking about is okay so how am i modeling equality in my relationship with my yeah. partner how am i talking to my boy and girl i mean that's the hardest thing to me i notice myself saying things mm. that, like i'll call her sweetheart and i call him mate yeah and that's something that i've done without thought even though I know it's important. And I, sometimes I think that we put the pressure on parents for such simple things that it's really, you, you can only do so much. And you can overthink it, like I was with the battle of the three pink skirts. You know, it <laughs> yeah. really was the least of our problems. And, and and I, I, I wonder too if there's also something we ascribe meanings to colours, obviously, but I wonder if there's also a whole science behind there's an innate something about colours. Um, I, I remember when I did prison research, finding a particular prison which painted all its walls pink. And what they found was that the whole atmosphere had calmed down. Now, of course, it was wow. humiliating in the beginning, but there was a calming effect of the pink. And I wonder if it isn't something in the colours themselves whatever sex decides to use them or wear them or mm. and I'd be happy for my little one to wear pink if it, he's happy with it. Exactly. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs>
Our last topic in just a moment, the worst wedding disaster you've witnessed or been a part of. Kids are being conversation. Marriage is what brings us together today. You may kiss the bride. Wedding disasters have a way of turning into great stories. Poor old Meghan Markle. Can't cop a break with her family at the moment. With the royal wedding taking place this weekend, it feels like all the skeletons are out of the closet and they're cheering on from the sidelines. They've got their little royal wedding flags and they're just rattling away there. The latest, I think, it could have changed since I last looked at the internet, is her dad has dropped out of the wedding so he doesn't cause the family royal embarrassment. Now, everyone seems to have an appalling wedding story, whether it's um, one they've been invited to or their own, and I'm wondering if our guests have their own appalling wedding story so that we can feel, you know, at one with poor old Megan. Kate, you've got to have one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, I was invited to a wedding, um, the wedding of a work colleague um, who lives in a well-known beach suburb in Sydney that's well-known for a surfy gang. That's all I'm going to say. She's marrying one of those members of the gang. Um, She... (laughs) She's gorgeous, gorgeous woman. Uh, took out a $60,000 personal loan for her wedding. Wow. Uh, she was living in her mother's basement at the time. Uh, wow. Interesting choice. Uh, spent a lot of money on the wedding, and it was started out as a beautiful wedding, a very expensive, very OTT we- wedding. I think her dress cost about $5,000. I remember that, and this is, this is like 15 years ago. Um, I helped. I offered to help set up with another colleague um, before the bride arrived. Um, first thing that happened is all the tablecloths that arrived um, at the venue were the wrong size. We ended up having to cut them in half um, to fit on the <laughs> tables. It was in January. It was about 42 degrees. Uh, me and my colleague didn't then have time to go home home and shower and get changed for the wedding. So we had to put our dresses on all sweaty and dishevelled yeah. and oh, crawling around on the floor and trying to fix things. Then things kind of went okay. We had the ceremony and, and we had the reception. There's about 200 people there. Wow. But after, as the night kicked on, things started to get pretty crazy. There were a lot of shirts coming off, a lot of tattoos. <laughs> My friend got in trouble, um, got pushed up against the wall by a woman because she was taking, my friend had a few drinks, were taking photos of all the tattoos. Why do you want to know about the tattoos? You know, oh. oh, my God. Um, <laughs> the best man made a speech that he probably shouldn't have about how the bride <laughs> and the groom had met when the bride was 13 and the <gasps> groom was... 18, I oh, think. No. But the actual, the original story had been modified where she was like 18 or something. You know, the bride's mother's mouth was falling open. Um, they virtually had to get a big long stick and push the best man off because he wasn't letting go of the mic and those skeletons were just dancing <laughs> out of the closet. By the end of the night, uh, I remember my boss was there as well and me and my colleague were there and we'd had quite a few drinks. She, and she wasn't a mother hen type. She took us aside and she said, I'm leaving now. You two are not to leave each other alone. It's not safe here. <laughs> you have to promise me you'll get in a cab and you'll leave together. And the night got pretty crazy, and we did end up just kind of skipping out of there thinking, wow. Are they still together? They are. Well, this there is you go. Right. <laughs> this Maybe is what's to amazing. Lesson for all of us. 
Um, they are, and they're very happy. Um, but it was cra- It just was like wow. being in a film from 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 crawling around on my hands and knees, cutting tablecloths in half, to kind of dodging angry women with tattoos and their boyfriends, and you know, and the police. I think the police came after we left because of noise. It was it was crazy. It was wild. Yeah. But hey, they make good stories. They do. They, they do. Near, have you got one like that? Not as exciting as that. But I was at a wedding where the best man was to give a speech. And he had two things about him. One was he'd just gotten married himself, and he was a born-again. Uh-huh. So he went forward and delivered a long diatribe on what are the lessons that everyone should <gasps> know for what makes a good couple and a good no. wedding. Now, of course, the groom and bride's parents were there and all their friends who'd been married for 30-odd years or so, and eventually the father or the groom was so frustrated that he said to him, you get him off or I will. So they cut his speech short (laughs) and nobody else was privy to his great advice on what makes a marriage last. Oh, it's sorry, but I have, there are so many stories about best men (laughs) just mucking up the speech. Get out of control. Just be sincere. And if you can't be funny, don't even try. And anything, what makes you think that people should know that or want to know that or why is it helpful? (laughs) It's not about you, best man. It's not about you today. Keep it nice. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming in. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to The Parent Panel, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to leave a review and share it with your friends. The Parent Panel, new episodes every Friday.